I have a question for you though. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt, Lord, I need a miracle? Never been there? No? No? A few years ago, many years ago, when I was about Joshua's age, just sort of a week, you know, as the school finished, I got an infection in my leg. And uh, this was a, you know, I don't know, started out like a small oversized pimple. And this grew and grew and grew. And I went into hospital actually because I had to be on intravenous antibiotics to try and <clears throat> deal with the infection, which didn't go well. I need a miracle in my voice right now. And this infection, it grew. And so they put me on antibiotics. The specialist was like, yeah, that should be fine. It might be a spider bite or maybe, you know, cellulitis or something like that. So he then went off for four days on a golf trip which was lovely, as specialists do. Why not? When I got back, I was still there and this infection was still growing and, you know, there was this massive now big head on this thing and my leg was swelled up like the size of a football and it was so painful I couldn't even have a sheet resting on it. The skin was so tight and I was even getting track marks up my leg from, from the infection. And if those track marks hit your heart, you die, right? That's, so it's pretty serious. And so as soon as he got back, he goes, right, straighten the surgery. And so I then had this boil lanced and, you know, got lots of pus out and all that sort of stuff and had this big hole in my shin. And so I got out of hospital on Christmas Eve, 11 o'clock Christmas Eve. And they sent me home with a pack of all different stuff that I needed to take the stuff out of the hole and repack fresh stuff in every single day. It was gross. Now, there was no one in my family who was up to the challenge. Mum's not, that's not what she's built for. And Dad, I remember going and getting needles as kids and Dad passed out in the doctor's surgery. Right. But, you know, and, and so who on earth was going to do this thing for my shin? <clears throat> I needed a miracle. And for tea that night on Christmas Day, we had some people coming over. One of these people was a nurse. God sent a nurse to us on Christmas Day to do this for me. I remember this one time, she's got these tweezers about to, to you know, start doing stuff and someone bumps her. Her arm, as it's this far away from my shin, and she goes like this. Her reflexes were amazing. But um, anyway, so she fixed it up and showed me how, and then I did it myself for the rest of the month while this uh, tissue had to build from the bottom up. Because if I, ha I hadn't have done that, skin would have just grown and would have always had a hole in my shin. And, and it was a lovely hole. The first, when you look down in it, you can see the bone. You know, I still have this nice big scar on my shin now. But God sent us a miracle. I can't even remember her name. doesn't matter. She was our miracle. And that was just an absolute blessing that God provided her to us on Christmas Day. No one wants to go to a hospital on Christmas Day, do they? Have you ever been in a situation where you thought, I need a miracle, Lord, I need your special provision? Well, today we're going to take a snapshot of three scenes from Jesus' ministry of hope in Luke chapter 5. So if you've got your Bibles, 
It's page 997. Turn with me to Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 12. So each of these scenes, these snapshots, are remarkable in their own right. But each share with us a little more about Jesus and his mission, his purpose and his heart for people and to have a relationship with God and with their fellow man and to live lives that are redeemed, that are fruitful and are faithful. And so let's start with verse 12. Would you like to read the verse for us this morning? All, all together, let's go. Yeah. Thank you. Just like Simon Peter fell on his knees before Jesus, here this man with leprosy does the same. He adopts a position of reverence before Jesus. And from that position he says some interesting words. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So these words display a few things. First, they display humility. He comes before Jesus in a humble posture and, f- and with humble words, if you are willing. He gives Jesus control over what happens by submitting to the Lord's will. This is a great example of how to approach the Lord with our requests too. Be humble. Recognise our position before God. Be reverent and submit to what the Lord wills and accept his sovereignty and control over what happens if you are willing. Secondly, he also displays great faith. He says, you can make me clean. This man recognises the authority in Jesus over disease. He doesn't say, try and heal me. He doesn't say, please heal me. He says, you can make me clean. If you're willing, you can make me clean. These are words of faith. You can make me clean. Now, I don't know if you know much about leprosy, but in the Middle East at this time, leprosy was a fairly generic term for all sorts of skin diseases. The main thing was, though, that if you had a skin disease, then you were rejected from normal life. As a way to control the spread of disease, if you had leprosy, you were barred from living in the village and were cast out. You were rejected and ejected from your town. And so leper colonies would form outside of towns and anyone with a skin disease was sent there because people feared catching the disease. And once you were rejected, no one would touch you for fear of getting what you had. In fact, the law would make anyone who touched a leper unclean also. So it's like the church was also having a go at you, or the, you know, the Jewish church. And and then to be declared clean again would require a lot of work. And so it was a very effective way of isolating people with leprosy to control the spread of disease. But if you had leprosy, it would have been 
a very lonely existence. For most, you'd never again feel the touch of someone on your skin. You could never hug your children. You could never embrace your spouse. You could never even give someone a handshake to greet them hello. And if you had to go anywhere, you would have to shout out to everyone that you were a leper and you were coming so that could clear out. And what does Jesus do when this man with leprosy says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean? Jesus reaches out his hand and touches the man. He touches the man. This would have been potentially the first human contact this man would have had since he first contracted leprosy. Jesus reaches out his hand and touches him and says one word. In Greek it's one word. (laughs) Catharisteti. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Only a single word was required to perform this miracle of hope. But if Jesus touches the leper, does that make him unclean? Because according to the law, if you touch a leper, you're unclean. Those were the rules. But this is the amazing thing about Jesus. Jesus is not made unclean by touching the leper. The leper is cleansed by Jesus' touch. Through this encounter with Jesus, this leper is given hope and he is redeemed from rejection. Now as a leper, if you were healed, if you you miraculously were healed, um, or if it cleared up, if your skin cleared you, 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 and your body was, 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 had overcome the sickness, there's only one way that you could re-enter society. And that was by being declared clean by the local priests. And this was a very rare occurrence given the nature of the disease that people had. And so this is what Jesus tells the man to do. Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifice that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. And so this man's instructed not to tell anyone, but to go to the priest and fulfil the requirements of the law to be declared clean. And they're recorded for us in Leviticus chapter 14 from verses 2 to 32. And they involve being examined by a priest, offering a couple of birds as a sacrifice, you know, always good to kill a pigeon, washing, staying outside of camp in a tent for a week, shaving all the hair off your body, including your eyebrows. Love that point. That's included in there. It's lovely. And, and washing some more um, and then offering two lambs as a sacrifice. Uh, a few more things. And, and, and then you were declared clean. At this point, you could be welcomed back into full fellowship and participation in the Jewish community according to Mosaic law. And that is the gift of hope that Jesus gave this man. This man could hug his kids again. This man could embrace his wife again. This man could walk down the street without having to shout at everyone to clear a path because he was diseased. And this is what Jesus gives to this man. He gives him hope for the future once more. This man could could once again live a normal life. He had been redeemed.
Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear Jesus, to hear him, and to be healed of their sicknesses. For Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So even though Jesus says, don't tell anyone, his fame keeps spreading. And what I find important to note is that the order in which people came for Jesus. I think Luke is quite deliberate in this. He says the people came to hear Jesus first. That's what he puts first. They came to hear Jesus. And then he puts, and to be healed of their sicknesses, second. First, they came to hear, they came to hear his preaching and his preaching ministry preceded his healing ministry. Luke also makes the point that Jesus had continual practice of withdrawing to pray. He was not deterred by large crowds and pressure to do so much for so many people. I mean, can you imagine the pressure he would have been under and would have felt from these crowds of people continually coming for him for healing and to hear him, but yet he makes the point of continually withdrawing to pray. That was his continual and regular practice to take time out and pray. You know, this week we held our first whole church guided prayer meeting here on Thursday. We had a good turnout, and uh, I know this will grow more over the coming months ahead because prayer is so important. Jesus made a regular, continual practice of dedicating time in prayer, and he was God. <laughs> So how much more then do we, mere humans, need to make regular, continual, dedicated times of prayer? One way is to commit to corporate prayer gatherings like what we have on the first Thursday of the month or our weekly Wednesday mornings. But more than that, we need to develop our personal healthy prayer habits like praying when you wake up and dedicating your day to God praying as you walk out the door, praying before you go into work. Develop prayer as a healthy habit throughout your day. Take those quiet moments in your day to pray. If Jesus had to, then I'm pretty sure it would be helpful for us too. And so this man, he receives a miracle of hope and is healed of leprosy by his faith in Jesus, who redeems this man and gives him a future. That's snapshot one. Snapshot two is verse 17. If you'd like to read that for me, please. So we see the fame of Jesus has spread so that people from every village of Galilee, Judea and Jerusalem were present. That's what it tells us. So a crowd yet again is around Jesus. 
And this included the Jewish uh, spiritual and political heavyweights, the Pharisees and scribes. And so into this scene of this great crowd, a couple of blokes carrying a mate who's paralysed walk in. They can't get to Jesus. They can't get anywhere near him because there were so many people. And so they thought outside the box, literally. Because houses back then were built a little bit differently to how we built them now. So there'd be a, often a flat roof and a staircase would be at some point around the outside of the building. And so it pro, they were probably in a, in a wealthy person's house because it would have been quite large to fit a crowd of people in. The construction of the house, I don't know, uh, they could have had tiles. Back then there is evidence that tiles existed, like similar to what we have today in, in product. Uh, but also the, the roofs of smaller versions of houses were actually made out of mud slabs which would be pre-cast and made and then installed. And so they also could have been taught, called tiles. But anyway, the roofs pulled off and these men lower their mates into see Jesus. And I find it astonishing that the first words to the man who'd been lowered by his mates in, in a great display of faith was, to forgive his sins. It seems to me to be very jarring in this recount. But by proclaiming that the man's sins are forgiven, Jesus is announcing that he has the authority to forgive sins. And this doesn't go down well with the religious leaders. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew that they were thinking and what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the paralysed man, I tell you, Get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. Jesus announces that he has authority to forgive sins and then demonstrates that authority by healing the man. It's not jarring at all. You see, it's a, it's a teaching moment. He's teaching us more about who he is and what power he has. And this was particularly challenging for the scribes and Pharisees. And Jesus does not deny that God alone can forgive sins, but he claims that he has the authority as the Son of Man to forgive sins. If this were not true, then Jesus would be guilty of blasphemy, which is the point of contention for the religious rulers. But Jesus perceives their thoughts, which again is further indication of his divine omniscience, and he counter-questions them and involves the difference between saying and doing. It's easy to say that a person's sins are forgiven, which can't be disproved, than it is to tell him to get up and walk, which can be disproved. And so it's easy to say, that some, to say something that can't be proved 
than to do something that can be disproved. Does that make sense? It's easy to say something that, can, that can't be disproved, but it's not easy to do something that can be disproved. And Jesus does both. And so he demonstrates that both are true. Jesus' healing of the paralysed man serves as proof that we may know that he is the Son of Man and that he has the authority to forgive sins. And once the man is healed and his future redeemed, he picks up his mat and he goes home praising God. I love that. It's a great sign, isn't it? This mat that had been this, you know, his home for forever as a paralysed person, this mat would have been what he would have been dragged around on, carried on. He would have known that intimately. I can imagine he's picked that up, that mat, he's rolled it up, and he's gone home praising God and chucks it straight in the bin. You know, like, be gone. You know, like, I can imagine that scene. And everyone in the crowd also praised God and were amazed and were filled with awe and they too praised God. That's snapshot number two. Snapshot number three is a little bit different. After this, just I love that you know, connecting phrase, after this, uh, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi standing at his booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Levi got up, left everything and followed him. We all know about tax collectors. They were representatives of the Roman governing authorities and their tendency to resort to extortion made them despised and hated by their own people. And they were usually unscrupulous individuals who would turn a tidy profit on the taxes that they collected. You owe me three drachmas when really you only owed two. Is sort of the mode of operandi of the tax collectors. But not only that, tax collectors were also employed from the local population. There were people who had grown up in that village or town who knew what was going on and in, the, and, and in their mind of their own people had, had actually betrayed their own people to profit off them for personal gain. Levi was such a man. Jesus strolls past, looks at Levi and says, follow me. Because you see, Levi too was a reject. He was rejected by his own people. He was despised and hated by everyone for the choices that he had made. But he too was rejected as someone who was not worthy, just like Simon Peter, James and John. He too had not made the cut. And just like Simon, Peter, James and John, when Jesus said, follow me, Levi got up, he left everything and followed him. He too was redeemed from rejection. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. A large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. So Levi holds this massive banquet for Jesus in his home and he invites all of his friends. And who, if you're rejected, who are your friends? Other rejects, right? So him and his mates, all the tax collectors are there. 
And his response to being called to follow Jesus was one of gratitude, was one of celebration, and that led to, to great hospitality. He throws a party. But of course, the religious leaders who were closely scrutinising this new teacher that was amongst them, uh, drawing large crowds away from them uh, and demonstrating amazing authority, were not happy that Jesus was keeping company with people whom they had rejected, tax collectors and sinners. And I sometimes have to pull myself up from making similar judgments about people. You know, who are the tax collectors and sinners around us that we look down on? Who are the people that are considered bad company that we refuse to eat with? And Jesus gives us a very important message here. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. As a church, we are not a country club for the righteous. We are a hospital for the sick. So let's consider what the differences are between a country club and a hospital. See, a country club is for members only. A hospital opens its doors and welcomes everyone who is sick. A country club has perks and privileges only for the wealthy members, whereas a hospital treats everyone the same, rich or poor, just the same. It provides the same level of care and nourishment for all. A country club focuses on making its members happy with privilege and distraction. A hospital focuses on making the sick well again, their one purpose. A country club is neat and clean. A hospital can be messy and dirty. Anyone ever been in an ER after... We won't go there. See, the church is not a country club for the righteous. We are a hospital for the sick. We welcome everyone. We treat everyone the same, rich or poor. We focus on helping people apply the grace of the gospel to their circumstances and bring hope where it is lost. We will be messy and dirty at times, just like the lives of everyone who need the hope of the gospel. And as Jesus has not come to call the righteous but to call sinners to repentance, we too have been called for mission to bring the hope of the gospel to the northeast. But I have a question for you. What do these three snapshots all have in common? What? Of course, Jesus. But I think more than that, it's redemption. See, the leper had his hope redeemed and was able to re-enter society as a clean man. The paralysed man had his hope redeemed as he was healed and could walk again. The tax collector had his hope redeemed as he was called to follow Jesus and join with the mission of Christ to see people repent and believe. So redemption is a deep gift of God's grace. And it is super rare to experience in our world. It really is. It's super rare. I mean, this week there was one, one, I guess you could say, story of redemption. David Warner won Alan Border medalist. He, if you don't know, is a cricketer 
uh, the Australian opening batsman. And he, of course, was central to the sandpaper issue, cheating, and had 12 months out of the game. And his 12 months back in the game, except for the Ashes tour, were pretty good. And so he had that, that, that chance of redemption, a chance of, of again re-entering and, and, and contributing to his role. But redemption that we're talking about today is a deep gift of God's grace. It is a gift of God's grace to each of us. There are many areas of our lives where we are lepers, where we are paralysed, where we are rejected because of choices that we have made, where we are outcasts. But Jesus reaches into those very areas of shame, those areas of hurt and pain, those areas of hopelessness and rejection and says, be healed. Your sins are forgiven. Follow me. What is it that you are hanging on to that, that you need to hand over to God? You know, where do you need your hope redeemed? What is it that God is saying to you today by your faith in Jesus Christ and the gospel that has set us free? Be healed. Your sins are forgiven. Follow me. You know, this morning I want to give us a chance to, to actually do that. We're going to sing a song in the moment called Living Hope. And we're going to let that, that play and Pauline's going to lead us in that. Because whilst that song is playing, I'm going to be down here at the front. And if you want prayer, I'll invite you to come forward and I'll pray for you. For areas of your life, you don't need to, to tell me what they are. But if you need prayer, please come forward. People who need your hope redeemed, who need to hear those words of Jesus, be healed, your sins are forgiven, follow me. And I don't know what circumstances you have, have going on in your life right now, whether there's past relationships that are still hurting from people that have sinned against you and the anguish is still ripping you up, the loss of a loved one and a, and a heart that is broken, disappointments of dreams that have never been realised, unforgiveness, unrepented sin. I, I, I know there are many circumstances that we are all in where we have lost hope, where we need our hope redeemed by Jesus. And so as we sing, if you have something in your life where you need to come before God and receive his redemption this morning, don't stay in your seat. This is a safe space where we are among family. There's no judgment. Because if we're really, truly all honest, there is something that each of us need God's intervention, where we need our hope redeemed. And so... If you want prayer this morning, don't be shy. Come forward as we sing. I know it's unusual, but I know that God wants to reach into our hearts today and say these words to us. Be healed. Your sins are forgiven. Follow me.